0: to the truth in this art. I am your host, Rob Lee. And today I am interviewing the executive director of the Baltimore Museum of Industry. Please welcome Anita Kassoff. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. It's great to be with you.
0: Yes. uh, Great to have you on. It's a good way to wrap up a Monday as we're recording here, um, at least for me, because I am going to go to sleep after this. Um, (laughs) So if you will, um, I like to start off with Usually after I give a very brief, abbreviated kind of introduction for the guests, I like to really let them do some of that talking on there. So give us that those vital stats. Describe your work and what are your, some of your priorities in your role?
1: Sure. So, um, first of all, I hope that uh, many of your listeners have been to the Baltimore Museum of Industry. And we're going to fix that in your case and get you down there soon. Um, <laughs> we are located on the south side of the Inner Harbor on five beautiful, Waterfront Acres, and we're located in a former oyster cannery. So, everybody is welcome, and um, you first on the list. <laughs> um, um, so, let's see what are what are some of my priorities. I would say that um, that certainly, like like many leaders, the last couple of years have been all about surviving and adapting and being as. Um, really as adaptable as possible as change keeps getting thrown at us. And I'm really proud of the way we've come through the pandemic. Um, one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot um, is the fact that I and my colleagues are stewards. We we don't, you know, it's not as if we own the Baltimore Museum of Industry as a business owner owns their business. Um, we are passing through. And so I think that In a way, my goal is to leave things better than I found them, hopefully much, much better than I found them, Um, because I'm very acutely aware that we are stewards of something that belongs to the public. The museum doesn't belong to me. It belongs to you. It belongs to the school kids who come through. So I've been giving a lot of thought to that as I think about what my priorities are.
0: That's great. Um, It's it's great recognizing that and really, really being like upfront about it. So I think sometimes when it comes to museums, and uh, like, ultimately, you have like relics, you have people's works, things of that nature, it's almost like this kind of ownership. And it's like, mm-hmm. this is from here, this is from the this is from Baltimore, this is from the place or so have you these, this is for the people and being intentional and in saying that I think that's really, really huge, and a really great thing. And I, I love that, you know, just you, you, you're touching on that. Um, so when it comes to let's say the mission of Mm -hmm. of the museum or have you how how's how do you how would you describe that
1: well the mission you know the 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 fancy words are baltimore the bmi celebrates maryland's industrial legacy and shows how innovation fuels ongoing progress but what that what that really means is that we um we're a history museum but we don't just look backwards we look forwards too. Mm. so While we celebrate Baltimore's industrial legacy, we also ask questions about um, what's going on in industry today, what work will will guide the future and um, fuel Baltimore's economy. We do that through our exhibitions and through our public programs. Um, And I think that the other thing that underlies that mission is a real conviction that there is dignity in all work. and we're really in particular leaning into that now because, um, you know, the pandemic has completely transformed people's relationship to work and the way that they think about work and what they expect of work and what they want out of work. And so, in a lot of ways, I feel like our mission is very of the moment, like, the, and this is our moment because we're exploring something that everybody can relate to, everybody either. Works or wants to work or is frustrated at work or aspires to work. So our mission is very, um, I think, very relatable and it gives us a lot of leeway to do a lot of really interesting programming.
0: Yeah. Um- and, and looking at it, like, you know, having having a day job and seeing just different things uh, as, I guess, the lockdowns and, and things were happening, remote work was happening. I was just looking at, like, I was doing a checklist. I was like, huh, hmm, suit separates, those are gone. I'll be wearing jeans mm-hmm. to work. Exactly. and And then having the response to, like, the, the mask uh, or the great resignation and things of that nature, there is a shift. And it's almost like these rules are being rewritten. And in addition to that, I feel like it's almost a a game of chicken between the 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 workforce as a more macro like you guys need to work versus the workers i feel like that's Mm -hmm. what's happening and it's that power struggle that that's happening but things are are changing and being rewritten so and i also think that baltimore is is changing and at times history is rewritten and elements are, are diminished or even erased right and i think really covering baltimore's history is you know you're describing uh is, is super important um because you'll forget like oh this was an industry in baltimore for a long time we have a rich right. history of that and right. you have like the works of like folks like like um evan woodard who are like doing digging and uh mm-hmm. who was on the podcast who's uh doing digging and, and things of that nature and privies and it's like this is not really in a big scheme of things that long ago and right. this is what we had here but people don't know that these were industries that were thriving here so Tell me about like some of the legacies that that Baltimore has in terms of like industry, like maybe one or two that pop up that people really really wouldn't think were big industries here.
1: Yeah. Well, first of all, I'm a big fan of Evan Woodard's and maybe we can talk more about him later. (laughs) Um, And I did listen to your interview with him. It was terrific. Um, Let's see. Baltimore industry. I think um, one thing that's important is that um, you know, when we think about our industrial legacy is that we weren't uh, um, a a one industry town, like say Detroit. We were a national manufacturing center. So we made a tremendous variety of things here. Um, Everything, well, I mean, the the railroad started here for one. Um, First gas street lamp, bottle caps were invented here. We were once the umbrella capital of the world. Um, the linotype machine, which revolutionized the print industry, was invented here um, by a, a German immigrant named Otmar Mergenthaler. We have a, a working linotype machine that wow. we, we demonstrate. So we just had an abundance of, of things that we made here. And the other thing that's important about Baltimore, and one of the reasons we became a manufacturing center, is our logistical advantage. Um, we have the, um, the our port is the farthest west of any East Coast port, which means that um hmm. We're closer to Midwestern markets. And when you also couple that with early rail connectivity, um, it really made a big difference in our industrial growth. So um, those were, were really kind of important underpinnings of um, Baltimore as an industrial town in our heyday. And I think it's really interesting also that you ask about um, elements of that history that have been diminished or ignored, and that's something we take really seriously at the museum. Yeah. Even reexamining what we what we've done in the past in our long term exhibitions, and challenging ourselves um, really to think about um, whose stories haven't been told right. and who's absent. And how can we make sure that those stories are told more fully in the future? So it's definitely something we think about as we refurbish our exhibitions or as we create new exhibitions.
0: That's great that they have that commitment. Um, I remember it was at the, uh, I believe it was like Women of Steel maybe? Mm
1: No, oh, Women of Steel. Yeah, yeah.
0: I was like, okay, this is great. This is a great idea. And um, and it was just like something from for me in in doing this podcast. And what really interests me is kind of uncovering and unearthing things that it, whether it be stories, whether it be just different trivia. I'm a trivia nerd, and mm-hmm. it's like, oh, I didn't know this. Let me di- dive into this and learn more. And I think that's really what museums do, but specifically what the BMI does. So I yeah, I
1: agree. I agree. I, you know, and I have to say, well, I'll take people through the museum and invariably I will discover something. I've been there for seven years and I will discover something in the museum that I just never noticed before. Like today I was walking through our print shop gallery and I noticed an enormous sign for the Baltimore Banner. Now the Baltimore Banner, as you might know, is the new paper that's being started by Stuart Bainham. And, um, and Apparently the Baltimore banner was also a paper that was established in 1965 when journalists were out on strike. It was a strike yeah. paper. I didn't know that. And here we have this Baltimore <laughs> banner sign and the Baltimore banner is coming back today and, you know, in a different form. And so there are just all these discoveries in the museum that even I, who walk around there all the time and still, I'm still discovering.
0: Yeah. I, I love those connections. And um, I think really in it, it, Baltimore specifically, I think there are opportunities when you learn about places, you learn about different people and learn about our history, you have much more of a love and appreciation for mm-hmm. what has transpired here. And, you know, there, at times there's a lot of, because of like lack of knowledge and lack of access, there is this, this lack of pride that comes mm-hmm. with it. And it's just like, no, we had this here, we had this first. So we need to celebrate these, these different things, whatever they may be. It's like, love what you have. And City pride, state pride, what have you, and you look at other cities, and they really tout what they do well and what they are famous yeah. for. So, you know, I think places like Miami, that's it's important to really acknowledge those those places, and people should definitely, like myself included, should go <laughs> should go check it out. Um, so. Looking at the, looking forward, right? Um, uh-huh. Where do you see the the future of the museum? What are the hope? What do you hope to accomplish in the, this this year? Obviously, we're still right. in different stages of uh, the the end times or the right. the the, the, after the beginning times. times. The beginning times, yes, <laughs> beginning optimism. Times. Um, so, what do you hope to accomplish in in this in moving forward?
1: Well, I definitely am looking forward to renewal post-pandemic. I mean, as I said, I'm very proud of what we did during the pandemic, some really great creative risk-taking and, and you know, new formats and things like that. Um, but what I would really like to see is people getting back through our doors. I would love to see school groups coming back. We used to serve 30,000 kids a year you know come came through the ha- the museum and we're engaging in hands-on programs and they're they're coming back slowly they're coming back slowly but there are a few projects in particular that are exciting me you know in this coming year during the pandemic we opened an exhibition called fire and shadow which tells the story of the Bethlehem steel mill at yeah. Sparrow's point um and the exhibition was itself the capstone of a multi-year project that was a community outreach initiative to the best steel retirees. Um, some people don't know that Bethlehem Steel at its height was employing 30,000 people in Baltimore. Was the biggest steel mill in the world and then it was gone. So the exhibition explores what it was like to work there and what what the loss of the mill meant and Like I said, we opened that in September um, and then, you know, Delta Omicron. So um, the whole Greek alphabet came along. So um, not as many people, many people have come seen and seen it, but we're hoping for a lot more people coming to see this wonderful new exhibition. And then we're working on another really cool project that I'm so thrilled to have the opportunity to talk about. It's a project called Food for Thought which honors the frontline food and nutrition service workers from the Baltimore City Public School System. So Baltimore City Public Schools, our colleagues there who we've partnered with before, um, came to us some months ago and said we'd really like to find a way to honor these frontline essential workers who kept kids fed during throughout the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, Baltimore City Schools uh, provide about 80 some thousand meals a day to Baltimore families. And kids who go to Baltimore City Public Schools are entitled to food. There's no, regardless of family income, And when schools closed in March of 2020 and the teachers went home, students went home, these frontline workers had to keep working and they kept working, feeding the kids. And it's really a labor of love for them. So this exhibition, um, which will open this summer, will include audio portraits and photographs of the food service workers and a lot of information about the need that they're serving. and the, the photographs are taken by a local photojournalist, Jam Giordano. I don't know if you've interviewed him yet. I've interviewed him. Yeah, OK. I missed, I missed that one. But yeah. <laughs> so you know Joe.
0: Um,
1: and the audio portraits are done by Aaron Hankin. Who I know you know. So yeah. So the, 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 the A team. Um, and um, <laughs> we're also going to have an installation at North Avenue at city school headquarters. Yeah. Um, and what we'd like to do is in the context of the exhibition and honoring these food service workers is also to inspire people to take action to address issues of food insecurity in this city so food for thought opens this summer and we're really really excited about it being able to honor these workers and the important work that they're doing to keep baltimore kids fed
0: i love hearing that um i I'm, a, I'm being a troublemaker in my neck of the woods. We have a little bit of a food scarcity, food insecurity thing over here, mm-hmm. and I'm using the access that I have and the platform I have supposed and supposed to bring more attention to to certain mm-hmm. areas. Like I had the interview with the uh, folks at Movable Feast, and mm-hmm. just in that, it inspired me to really check. Like in my neck mm-hmm. of the woods, there's one mm-hmm. market, and it's not yeah. doing doing the job. And it's yeah. like, look, we got to cause some trouble, and we got to get people fed and you know it's it's a health thing so i'm glad that you're you're working to highlight those those people who were doing stuff because i know the school that was near me they were giving out those meals they were still out yep. there doing their thing and yep. um people were lined up so it's obviously a need mm-hmm. let's talk about um I, this is very interesting for me actually this this question uh how does the museum source artifacts and and and, and, and things for exhibits like i have no idea how that happens i understand, like the curation process for like paintings and things of that nature, I understand a little bit more, but for like m- the museum of industry, how does that work?
1: <laughs> no, no, that's a great question. So for starters, I don't know if you know this, but we were founded in 1979 by then mayor William Donald Schaefer. And he founded the museum because he was concerned that with all these industries disappearing from Baltimore, that our, the, the material record of our industrial legacy would be lost. Right. So our early days were sort of a salvage mission, you know, and a major industry would close and my predecessors would take the things. Um, We're a little bit more intentional now, but really it's not all that different. If a business closes, it might approach us. Um, We have a a very strong collection of records of businesses um, from from Baltimore and from Maryland more broadly. The other thing is that individuals will come to us, people who worked at a particular business or had a a particular connection. And there was a big uptick in offers of donations during um, the pandemic because people were at home. So they were cleaning out their garages and cleaning out their attics. So we really had a a flood then. Sometimes we collect things in connection to particular initiatives. So as I said, we had this uh, multi-year initiative to tell the story, document and tell the story of the Bethlehem Steel Mill at Sparrows Point. And many, many collections came in in connection with that. Um, Retired steel workers would come forward and they would give us their hard hats and their lunch boxes and their work tools and their uniforms. And some of them made their way into the exhibition and a lot didn't. One thing that most people don't know about museums is that typically a museum will display maybe 10% of their collection, and we're no exception. So we have collections that we can rotate into exhibits, but many that we're preserving that don't necessarily get displayed. They're available for research. We do serve researchers. And then we also have some really good friends. And this is where Evan Woodard comes in. So I know that when you interviewed him a week or two ago, he was talking about his urban archeology span and how sometimes he'll find um, bottles and uh, and other um, items of particular historical significance. And when he does, he researches them, bless him, um, and then he offers them to us. So we have the objects and some important provenance information with them too.
0: It's wonderful. When when the uh the podcast industry gets the notoriety that it so richly deserves, I will there be the first go. to donate my mixer and microphone and it's like has my little name next to it. It'd be great. It'd be great. Yep.
1: There you go. <laughs> there you go.
0: So I read that the museum features original and restored machiner- machinery from going back to the 1860s, like the 1860 uh, cannery. Yeah, well, that's um, our
1: building is, was built in the 1860s, yeah.
0: Yeah, and, um, and uh, 1920s uh, garment loft, uh, 1930s Decker, 1930s print shop. What exhibitions are the most popular? Wh- which, which ones are like, people like, yeah, I need to definitely mm-hmm. check this out?
1: Yeah, well, there I- are... <laughs> It's hard to say which is the most popular. I think what what attracts people to the exhibitions is that they feel very alive. Mm. Um, And, you know, the the exhibitions that you just cited, many of them sort of are historic settings and they evoke a sense of nostalgia. We've actually been um, surveying our visitors lately as they leave and asking them what would bring them back. And one of the things that they've been saying is they really appreciate the hands on demonstrations. So, for example, we have a belt driven machine shop that really works. And when people are there, the machines get turned on and people can see them working. Um, we have a forge, which um, has been not lit during the, the um, not fired up during the pandemic, but um, we hope that our blacksmith comes back soon. The linotype machine that I mentioned earlier in our print shop gallery actually works and our volunteers will you know, print somebody's name, you know, make a, a line of type and print somebody's name. So um, it's hard to pin down a particular gallery, but I think that people, um, they do like to see theme, things working um, when I take people through, um, I think that one of the areas that they seem particularly intrigued by is our food processing gallery, and I think mm-hmm. that has to do partly with nostalgia. They recognize iconic Baltimore brands um, that they recognize, like Old Bay. We have the actual spice grinder that the Old Bay seasoning blend was invented on wow. by oh, wow. and, and yeah, by a, a Jewish immigrant who was a refugee from Nazism. He brought his spice grinder with him and then he set up shop he happened to set up set up shop near the inner harbor and so he created this spice blend for all the the fish that the fishmongers were bringing in um we just installed in that gallery an exhibition about um the park sausage company which is the first black owned company to go public to be traded publicly Um, so that's in that gallery too you can press a button and hear the park sausage jingle (laughs) So um I think that's I think that is a popular gallery, but it's hard to say which
0: is the most popular. I, I know where I'm gonna be checking out because I'm a foodie. So yeah. It might it might be a few rapid fire questions that you'll be getting in a moment that I didn't send you purposely. It might be a food question or something. We might talk about Um, So this is the last real question I have for you before I get to those rapid fire questions. Um, And and I think that you've touched on it a bit, but I want to like really hammer that point home. Mm -hmm. Um, In the last few years, obviously the museum experience has changed. um, And I think there's an opportunity to kind of think outside of the box. Um, Mm -hmm. Can you like really just remind us of a few examples of that innovative thinking with regard to the uh, museum of industry?
1: Sure. Yeah, we had to think innovatively during COVID. And I think like a lot of museums, we did a lot of creative risk-taking by necessity, um, but we really, we did lean into it. Um, So we did things that I think were important, but maybe not um, too different from what many other institutions were doing, Um, you know, creating programs online, doing virtual programs when they would have been in person in the past. Um, actually, that was a boon for us as it was for so many others, because we could reach people all over the country. And in the case of our um, podcast about Sparrows Point, we reach people all over the world. We wouldn't have done that probably pre-pandemic. Um, For school kids, we started offering both virtual experience and hands-on learning kits to try and address the digital divide for kids who really couldn't comfortably access um, online work. Um, We did things, you know, with our rental clients. We rent the museum out for for weddings and events, and we started doing micro weddings with just a small number of visitors. So, So those are the kinds of things that I think are sort of you know, maybe more in line with the sorts of things we used to do. Um, one of the more innovative things that I'm really proud of is that right in the spring-summer of 2020, soon after the pandemic hit, um, we made our site available to MedStar Health to be used as a COVID testing site. And that was important to us because here we had this beautiful campus, yeah. essentially empty, and we still felt very strongly um our commitment to being a community partner, but we couldn't do the things we usually did. So um, that was a really successful partnership, opening the campus up for COVID testing. And we also, even in the early days of the pandemic, were able to continue to have our farmer's market, um, which we have every Saturday, May to November, um, so that people could come down and it was a relatively safe way to to shop during the pandemic.
0: That's great. Um, So thank you. Thank you for sharing all of that that good stuff right there. So now all of the goodwill, right, that I've established, I'm going to like ruin all of it with these rapid fire questions. Um, So with these rapid fire questions, uh, we try to just be as as brief as possible, you know, with the notion of rapid fire. Um, But if you need to provide some extra context, feel free. Um, So looking back over the exhibits that you've seen or worked on, what has been particularly influential or memorable in terms of your career?
1: Do you mean just at the museum, at the sure. Baltimore Museum of Industry? Sure, yes. Um, it, it is the most recent, but I really do think it's one of the most important, and that's the Bethlehem Steel exhibition I just described, because it's not just an exhibition, it's the result of this three years of intense, intensive community building and trust building. It's been really rewarding, and it also called on everybody in the museum to work together wonderful okay was that brief enough i know it's rapid it, it was
0: no you did it you did it uh okay so here's the next one i told you i told you a moment ago it was gonna be something food related what is your favorite place to grab a bite in the city
1: my favorite place closed my favorite place was um henninger's oh. on yeah yeah and yeah they closed but i hear that there's a new owner what else do i really like these days I don't know. I went to Hersh's the other night for the first time. I really liked it. This okay. is South Baltimore. Yeah. So I I don't know if that rises to the level of favorite, but I did enjoy it. But yeah, I, I will miss Henninger's. Um they were around for many, many years and they were sort of one of those places that was, you know, like people's living room, you know.
0: Um, aside from obviously a museum of industry, uh, name name some of your favorite like local museums will have you, maybe one or two that you're like, you know what, I, I always have a great time when I go here.
1: Yeah. Well, I really do like AVAM. You you mentioned AVAM before. And Avam is the place where when people come in from out of town, um, they they that's where I take them. It's it's just so delightful there. And another favorite partly because i think it's a really great museum um, and partly because i used to work there is the jewish museum of maryland with their historic synagogues um and they're doing some really they have a new director now who's doing some really interesting exhibition work and sort of um, going outside of the traditional box of um, interpretation of jewish stories so i am a big fan of the jewish museum of maryland
0: that's great i i like when people go outside of the box (laughs) 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 lastly um what do you say to people who say well I don't know, Baltimore Museum of Industry, I don't know if that's for me.
1: Mm, That's such a good question. (laughs) First of all, I tell them to come visit and I I let them know that we are more than a museum about machines and even more than a museum about industry. As I told you before, we're really a museum about work and about honoring the role of workers and entrepreneurs in building this city. And I will tell you, sometimes we have visitors who come. Um, there'll be a couple, and you know, typically it'll be the man who wants to to come and see the the machinery, right? Yeah. The the industry, and the the wife will come and be like, "Well, I guess I'll come along for the ride." And then we'll turn out to be very, very pleasantly surprised. So um, I think we go way beyond um, just being a. a a, um, a museum that looks at industry narrowly defined.
0: That's great. So that's all the questions that I have for today. Um, but I want to encourage you and invite you to um, share where to check out with folks want to check out more about the museum and, you know, maybe check out some hours and maybe schedule a visit. Where can they check? Where's the website and things they of that nature?
1: Started our website and all our social media links are there too. It's uh, the bmi.org.
0: So they have it, folks. Again, I want to mm-hmm. thank Anita Kassoff for coming on to the podcast. And uh, I am saying I'm Rob Lee, and there is industry in and around Baltimore. You just got to look for it.